Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become patron today Tell podcast episode 183. Dexter Henry Brian Fonseca here. Month of June, moving its way through it. Hidalgo Heights, as you can see, if you're watching the podcast. Now on Amazon. Right now. Go Before this that. shit goes crazy. We're gonna have a big summer ahead. I just share some some news releases. You know what I'm you saying? Got, We're getting out like, there. You, like, you sound like a rapper trying to hype an album. We're getting out. No, it's just already out. You know what I mean? It's just, out. I don't have to be like, yo, it's coming, whatever. But now people are legitimately enjoying it. Enjoying mm-hmm. it. Like I'm getting texts and stuff. So some people listen to the show. I want to shout them out at the top. You already know what it is. Uh, keep supporting that Hidalgo Heights. That's right. Keep supporting that Hidalgo Heights out now. You can get it where you need to get it. Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, <laughs> I was going to title this episode "Imaginary Players" till I realized that we actually had an episode titled that a while back ago. Imaginary like, Players Part two. <laughs> Part 2. I thought about doing that, and then I was like, no. Uh, but, you know, we're going to talk about a lot on this uh, episode. a lot of fraudulent behavior, or potential fraudulent behavior, that we might have been seeing in the world of sports, particularly around the NBA. And this past weekend, from when we're recording here, man, what a we- what an NBA playoff weekend. I mean, what an NBA playoff weekend. First, for me, is a great NBA playoff week. Let me go back a bit. I had a chance to be in the building for Game 5, Nets, Bucks, Kevin Durant, 49-point triple-double, one of the best live performances I ever got to see as a fan that had no rooting interest for either team. I just was there to see good basketball, and it was dope. Um, so it was great great to see, uh, great energy with the comeback and the crowd at the Barclays Center. It was good. Got to see some Nets fans and people I hadn't seen in a while. Good experience. That's great. They didn't want to cuss you out? No, no, no. It was all love. Everybody was good. You know, it was it was the the Nets fans. It wasn't an insecure Brooklyn, so we were fine. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't it wasn't that kind of energy, so we were okay. Um, but you know, got saw some people I like, some Nets fans I, I, I really like to check whenever I'm at the games. Shout out to them. Y'all know who you are. Uh, and for those of you that are hating, well, you know what you can do too. Uh, moving on to the weekend. I mean, it got interesting. We got these series at three two. We had Brooklyn, Milwaukee. 
We had Clippers Jazz uh, were some surprise wins in game five. We have uh, Sixers and Hawks. And all these games had interesting, interesting outcomes this weekend. I don't even know where to start, man, because it was so interesting. Look, the, the Nets, Milwaukee, everybody knows the thrill of that. Went to overtime. Was fantastic. Nets probably could have won it if Kevin Durant doesn't step on the line and hit that three uh, at the end of regulation. Still a crazy shot. Tremendous series by Durant. Uh, Giannis actually played within his strengths for most of the game and had a pretty good performance as well, too, despite his offensive limitations. Amazing how some people can do that. Some people cannot. That is amazing in itself. But I think the thing you got to talk about out the weekend, (laughs) then we can also find laughing. you know, because Giannis follows the rule on my shirt. And for those not watching this podcast, because <laughs> you miss 100% of the shots, you don't take. Uh, some people don't take shots. We will get he to takes that. takes them for sure. Uh, 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 well, at least Giannis takes them. we got to respect that. Um, so we got that. That was a crazy finish. Milwaukee moves on in game seven. Then we had the Clippers coming back. This is 2-2 with the Jazz, Brian. Kawhi goes out. All of us are thinking this is probably over. No, it's not. Who steps up? The man who people y'all been waiting for memes on PG thirteen. go back? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> We're gonna get to that. We won't get to that. We're gonna get to that. No, Rudy Gobert did not step up actually, and we'll get to that. But Paul George stepped up, and Terrence Mann stepped up. Reggie Jackson was great all series. The Clippers winning in six. The Jazz number one seed, they're gone. So we saw Game Seven, Bucks win. Number one seed, Jazz is out, and then, and then to end the weekend. Oh, man. Woo! Look, I'm going to tell you all this. Brian, I spoke with some of my friends who live in Philly who are Sixers fans, big-time Sixers fans, two of my boys down in Philly, and one of them texted me, and he told me before Game 7, Sixers-Hawks, that he was nervous. He could see the Sixers losing this. He was disgusted with Ben Simmons. Disgusted. He, you know, another friend, he kind of wanted him out of town already. Whatever. But Game 7... Sixers-Hawks. Man. Man. If you're a Sixers fan, you're going through it right now. And you're going through it. And here's the thing. I grew up a Knicks fan. I know what it's like to see a player, you, well, I don't know how the Sixers fans feel about Ben Simmons, but I saw a player I like have a bad postseason performance. John Starks went two for 18 in game seven of the NBA Finals. But you know what happened there? John Starks shot the ball. People also forget John Starks had a fantastic game six the game before. He just had an off night in the big game. This game seven. Brian, Ben Simmons didn't show up. He oh, what a show. shock. Oh, what Holy a shock. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, my God. He didn't show up. Yo, man. He didn't show up at all. Were, are, were you shocked, Brian? You said the sarcasm was clearly dripping there. You were not. Oh, my God. I was super petrified. Like, yo, he took six fourth quarter shots in 2019 and he took half of that in the fourth quarters of this series this year in 2019 in the semifinals against the Toronto Raptors that is I had did a thing a study last week and um a thought exercise yes Uh, appreciate it a thought exercise if you will about just that whole dynamic in hindsight where Tobias Harris has a bad series Ben Simmons has a really bad series. Joel Embiid also had a bad series, though he was struggling with an illness. This is all against the Raptors. J.J. Redick, not as impactful as he had been at different times throughout the year. And Jimmy Butler 
was basically being the Jimmy Butler that we later saw with the Miami Heat last year in particular and was the reason they lost on a bounce to the Raptors instead of getting blown out in five games, which is probably what would have happened because that Raptors team was very good. Um, Had Kawhi Leonard missed that shot, they would have went to overtime, and who knows what would have happened. It's entirely possible that the Raptors still would have won because, you know, uh, overtime on your home floor, like that's something you generally finish out, although <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets failed to do so because they had, you know, run out of gas, or at least Kevin Durant did, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So from there, they decided to max Tobias Harris, max Ben Simmons, keep Brett Brown, and Jimmy Butler is the one that is allowed to walk, and they end up trading him to Miami in the deal where they get back, uh, you know, Josh Richardson and you know, Al Horford uh, later joins the team, which obviously didn't work and things of that nature. Like, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, Jimmy Butler goes to Miami and they go to the NBA Finals as soon as he leaves Philly. And if you're Philly, you have to look at that and be like, you know, we we fucked up. And, you know, it's entirely possible that regardless, Jimmy wanted to, you know, go to Miami regardless. But he... It's cool with Joel Embiid. He likes Joel Embiid very much, which has been reported by he reporters and things of that nature. He does not really mess with Ben Simmons like that, nor did he mess with Brett Brown like that. Um, Tobias Harris, I'm totally like unsure about. But I wonder what would have happened if Philly would have been able to, at the time, have some foresight, not give Tobias Harris the extension, try to see what they could get for Ben Simmons, who would have been entering the max contract extension by that point, and actually keep Jimmy Butler, where your team then becomes... Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, you would have to get a new head coach, which they probably we were we were saying they should have did at the time because we pretty much knew Brett Brown wasn't going to be the answer there, right? So it's Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, and then you would have had you know whatever else built around them. You would have been able to do it because evidently, if you had enough money to max out Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, you could have maxed out only Jimmy Butler and you know try to find some parts around that. Building a team around Joel Embiid and and Jimmy Butler would have been interesting. You know what I mean? So we'll see. I mean, with Philly now, it's like, I mean, look, you you sort of get what you earn. And uh, a lot of people, such as myself, been saying since Ben Simmons was on his rookie contract, like, not quite sure he has it. Great defensive player, although, you know, not necessarily a lockdown defensive player. And I'll cut him some slack there because it's hard to be a lockdown defender in this era of the NBA where the rules are all geared toward the offense. He's still very good at what he does on that end. But to be somebody who's only shooting four attempts in 30-plus, almost 40-minute games, you know, as talented as you are, like, dog, you, you can't be scared to take shots or get to the line or do all these things. Like, that's not max player activity. And I can't I, I can't say that nice. I'm, I'm surprised here. I can't say that I'm surprised, unfortunately. And uh, I, I, we can't see Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the same team again. We just can't. I, I don't see how that is. Let me go back to some stuff you said, because I thought in the piece you wrote uh, for Deadspin, I thought you hit on some stuff that was really good, uh, including the fact of, like, the mistake was letting Butler go. Absolutely mistake. They chose Brett Brown pretty much and Tobias Harris over Butler, and I think that was absolutely mistake. The reason we made a mistake is they did not have a closer, and you saw this many times in the series. They did not have a guy whose hands they could put the ball in to be able to get easy shots. You have to give them They were trying to... Right. They were trying to do it to Joel and be 25 feet away from the basket. You can't do that. You're making his life harder, especially on a torn meniscus. It is not fair to Joel and And a lot of that goes on your primary ball hander, who is Ben Simmons, has a lot of liabilities. One, he won't shoot, which is why I never was high on Ben Simmons. 
other than being a good defensive player and rebounder because he just won't shoot. He refuses to shoot. Yep. Two, you can't keep the ball in his hands late in games because he can't hit free throws. That's a problem. Doc Rivers had to sit him multiple times in this game. Now, you have to wonder if this is the end of the process. Brian says it is. You can't see these two to together. The process, the whole point of the process was to acquire stars, right? That was it. Oh, the Sixers got one. They got themselves a superstar in Joel Embiid, undoubtedly. They, they advertised this to the people as they had two. And they didn't have two. They don't have two. They have one. Ben Simmons is out here stealing money right now. <laughs> Right? He's being paid as a max player, and he's not a max player. A max player has to shoot the ball. A max player cannot do the embarrassment that we saw in that game seven. Seriously. And I texted with Brian and a group a group chat that we had at the time. Ben Simmons had a who was guarding him in the post on that possession? I'm trying to remember. Was it Herder? Herder, I think Herder was on him. Yes, I think it might have been Herder, but I will say this also. When yes. he did pass it, when he was about to go up and he was wide open, the closest defender to him was Trey Young. You got to <laughs> dunk that ball. Right. For, That's- for the, I'll, I'll try to put the video up here in, in, in the play for people to see it who are watching this podcast. But he has Herder on him. He makes, and I was thinking at the time, okay, this is great by the Sixers. They're actually running some offense through Simmons in the post where he's got some height, he's got a mismatch, and he could easily excel because he finishes decently around the win. He makes a spin move uh, to his left. He has clearly got her to beat. All he has to do is go up and dunk it. 6'10", Ben Simmons. What does Ben Simmons do, Brian? But he tells you he passes the ball to Matisse Tybal. He passed the ball. The reason he passed the ball is simple. I put this to text. It's because he was afraid of the contact and doesn't want to go to the line where he shot 34% in the series. If you're that afraid to go to the line, yo, you're yes. not a max player. Yeah. People talk about Giannis and his struggles, but Giannis shoots the ball. By the way. Giannis, did, one second, B. Yeah, Giannis, yeah. <laughs> when he goes to the line, I think when Giannis gets the ball in his hands, all right, he's a little afraid. He get a little bit unnerved by everything that's going on and shooting the free throws. Ben Simmons is afraid before the ball touches his hand. It's straight hot potato with him. Oh, well, nope, don't want it. I don't want it. Can't have it. He doesn't want it at all. That's a problem. And if you're a Sixer fan right now, I can totally understand why you'd be furious about this. I can totally understand why you'd be upset today. You have a guy out here that seems like he doesn't want to do it. And I'm not trying to clown Ben Simmons in that way. But it at least appears, at least it appears like he does not have the heart for this. And when I say heart for this, it's just that something is going on psychologically. And I hope that he can figure it out. I'm not here to clown Ben Simmons. I hope that he can figure it out. But something, and I think a lot of times we look at sports and athletics, it's about what goes on in between here, right? And, and having that mental toughness. And it's like, all right, I'm not saying Ben Simmons has to be the closer. I'm not saying he has to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you spin on Kevin Herter and the dunk is there, you got to dunk that ball. And as Brian uh, Stoutley pointed out, Stoutley pointed out, Trey Young, Trey Young, Trey Young <laughs> was the closest defender to him. So if Trey Young fouls you, you still got to eat that and dunk it. And you pass the ball. You know what? You can't come back to Philly. You can't go back yeah. and play in Philly. I don't see how he can come back and play in the same town. How does Joel Embiid look at him the same? Did you see what Joel Embiid had to say yeah. after that? 
Yeah. That, that was somebody telling me, I don't want to play with this man anymore. He, he definitely uh, threw him under the bus, but he couldn't avoid it. You know what I mean? Like he and he tried to too. You look at the answer; he was trying to. Like he was tr- he was trying to figure out a way to say it. But ah, then for, nah, for those nah, listening, nah. for those I listening, he basically he, I slightly disagree with you. Oh, because, really? because I feel like Joel Embiid knew exactly what the intent of that comment was going to be. He wanted to make it seem like he was trying, but he wanted him to be under the bus. He's like, "Nope, get this dude out of town." This is me letting the front office everybody know. Did you see what happened? My man passed up two. We didn't get two. And what should be noted is Matisse Tyber went to the line, missed, hit one or two free throws when he could have got a guaranteed two or possibly an and one. But the so-called other Max player, the other superstar, yeah. part of the process, <clears throat> didn't want to dunk the ball. Like, Yo, and here's the thing, too. Wait, there's nothing worse than that. And here's the thing, too. The thing is, he passed it to Matisse Tybal, right? Like, if it was Joel Embiid, I think people would have been like, all right, whatever. Especially if Joel Embiid finished the play. I think people would have still pulled up like, yo, he probably should have dunked that, but it's Joel, whatever, whatever. Like, I can see a world where that happens. <laughs> Matisse Thibel is actually as bad as you offensively. Um, well, really, you're better than him offensively. You just choose not to be. Like, that's sort of the problem, and that's sort of the, the conundrum that people are having with Ben Simmons. And, you know, hopefully he does figure it out. I agree with you. One other thing I wanted to point out yes, is you yes. brought up free throws. In that 2019 semifinals, uh, Ben Simmons, who took six total field goals, only took a couple of free throws. Jimmy Butler, 21 for 23 from the line in those fourth quarters. And that's basically six fourth quarters because one of them was three minutes of a blowout that they were already losing. So you're talking about roughly four free throw attempts per fourth quarter in that series. That's winning time shit. You know what I mean? And 21 for 23, he was knocking them down, which we saw in that, you know, in that Lakers series and throughout the playoffs last year, like when Jimmy Butler's in the zone and, and really creating offense in the fourth quarter, a lot of it isn't just shot creation and getting to his spots in the mid-range area, being crafty going into the basket. It's also just getting eating contact and getting to the line because that's how you can uh, sort of slow down and demoralize a defense in that way. If Ben Simmons at least had that in his arsenal, Maybe the conversations we would have is different because you could live with the four field goal attempts if he's getting to the line eight, ten times a game. But, you know, he doesn't want to go to the line. And, you know, Philly just sort of has to deal with this. And his trade value, I mean, we were once talking about, like, maybe they can do Lillard for Ben Simmons or, you know, something built around that. That's something I brought up on this show, actually, in January of 2019, if you could believe it. So this is two and a half years ago. That trade ain't happening now. And now there's people throwing around CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons. And if I'm Portland, like, why? Why would I do that? You know what I mean? Like, why, why would I do that? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to talk myself, I wouldn't talk myself into that necessarily because, though, you know, there's a reasonable question as to whether or not Dame and CJ could work out and you could build a contender around those two dudes. I think there's a difficult pathway, but a pathway to doing that. I don't think. Ben Simmons being inserted for CJ McCollum is necessarily the answer there. I just don't. And I don't know what the, yeah. I don't know where, I don't know where Ben Simmons goes. If not one of the teams you mentioned in our group chat decks, like one of those just lower Eastern conference teams, just trying to figure it out, like in Orlando or Cleveland or something like that. Maybe I saw somebody, the Sacramento trade, maybe for Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley. I saw that. Cause here's the Aaron Fox. So like, yeah, but if you, if you, right. So I don't see how that works there. I don't see that. If you, the problem with the Clevelands and Orlando, like if, you're, if you're Minnesota, if you're Minnesota, Somebody told me another trade today, Russell. Somebody said Russell Edwards, and I was like, why would Minnesota do that? No. Um, I, 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 maybe I'd offer D'Angelo Russell. You know? 
I mean, I guess, but here's the thing. Uh, but if you're Philly, Philly like, do Philly you... needs Philly needs a player that's going to help them win now. Joel Embiid is 27. He's in his prime. They need a player that's going to help them win now. The fans are not trying to see the process part two. Ain't nobody yeah. trying to see that. They're not trying to rebuild again. You know what I'm saying? They're not trying to do that. They've already been through that. They're not trying to do that again. I don't know. With, you, yeah. with, I, I don't see. I don't know either. Now, I want to go back to one thing you said. You said, all right, if it was Joel Embiid and he passed the ball, people might be okay. No. Here's my thing. I don't care if it was prime Shaq on the other side. You dunked that ball. <laughs> Dunk the ball. Yeah. I, so every time I saw the replay, it got worse. Because in the beginning, like even when I saw it live, I was like, oh, all right, whatever. And then when I saw the replay, I was like, oh, he was right, on, right at the basket. That was for me. And then when they kept replaying it, I was like, Oh, Thibault was double teamed, but oh, Trey Young. I started finding all these different parts where I was like, dog, that's woo. I immediately saw it and was like, wait, wait, what? Why? Why did you do that? Why did you make the pass? It was like, uh, it, I'm infuriated watching it as a basketball fan, and I always support people making the right basketball play in terms of making it. Yeah, pass. I love assists. In, in terms of a pass, that was not the right basketball play. No. Right? That because was you're sending a poor, equally poor shooter to the free throw line who was double teamed already. Who, like, Matisse Tybo is not an offensive player. He's not there he for offense. He was wide open, and the man chose not to shoot. I don't see how you could come back from this. I don't see how it, this is the end of the process. Uh, the, you know, the, we got to give credit to the Hawks, too, who played brilliantly, and Trey Young, who's been a great villain. I, I'm here for the Trey Young experience. I, I was enjoying it. I like it. It's yeah. whatever. But I do think there's a question that's like, look, I think, like I said, Ben Simmons is out here stealing money right now. Is he a fraud? I think it's a fair question to ask. He's out here stealing money. He is disguised, or some of you have elevated him to superstar status or even a star. I'm not sure he's a star. I'm not sure. What is he? All I can say is the behavior, the display of the production we've seen on the court is fraudulent. It's fraudulent behavior. You can't bank on this man. Yeah, like Brian's talking about what the trade value is. I don't know. Somebody calls up and is like, "Hey, man, uh, I like to trade for Ben Simmons. What you got? Uh, second rounders? I don't like. I don't know. I don't. Know. I'm serious. Like, I don't know what the value is. We talked. I think a team like we said, like I was saying in the group chat to Brian, a lower Eastern Conference team that is starting their rebuild. Maybe saying, like, we could try to build around this, this guy. And you obviously have to build around Ben Simmons with shooters because you need people who are going to shoot because he won't. But I'm questioning how good of a playmaker can he be if you don't shoot, right? Like, even people who haven't had great jump shots that are decent playmakers, Ricky Rubio, right, Rajon Rondo, you at least know those dudes had a threat to shoot. He can't be a good playmaker because all everybody's going to do is just sit on the pass. Like and, and yeah. the, the most damning thing before we wrap up this part about the process and Ben Simmons being a fraud and all this stuff, the most damning thing is what Doc said. They asked Doc mm. after the game, uh, and I'm paraquoting here, do you think uh, Ben Simmons could be a point guard in a championship team? And his first thing was like, I don't know. Well, that says no. And he that, didn't hesitate, by the way. No, he didn't hesitate. And let me just add this. That uh, means, that's to, a no. And let me just add this to put a ball on it. Um, this past year was the first year of the five-year max extension that Ben Simmons is owed. So weigh that into his trade value as well because he will be making $33 million next year. He just made $30.5 million. $33 million next year, 
about 38, 40.3 million dollars. Uh, 2024, 2025. By that point, he won't even be 30 years old yet. So there's your optimism, I suppose. And I will say this. Uh, shout out to uh, Five Reason Sports, Five on the Floor podcast, who I listen to sometimes. Ethan Skolnick of them down in Miami. Um, They do some good work on you know Miami stuff and the NBA in general. Heard them talking about this. And one thing that they pointed out, which, is, which I found very interesting, uh, other than the fact that don't even think about Pam uh, potentially landing on a team with Jimmy Butler ever again, was... I mean, I mean, Jim, uh, uh, Ben, rather, ben, yes. landing yeah. on a team with Jimmy Butler. I, 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 yes, I knew what you meant there. They did point out that, hey, look, uh, Bam got sort of berated online for not shooting and things of that nature. And, look, he fixed it in game four. And he's somebody who's going to work on that stuff because he has, uh, you know, if not a full type A personality, has more of that than Ben Simmons would. And we're at a point now where, like, yeah, I'd rather have Bam. 10 times out of 10 to Ben Simmons easily. Um, and there are like a lot, if you go up and down the Eastern conference, like a lot of their second guys, you're going to just, you're going to take James Harden in the nets, you know, Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee bucks. I mentioned bam already. You go to Atlanta, who would they rather have John Collins or Ben Simmons? You know what I mean? Like you're the, Philly's number two was really Seth Curry in this series, actually, but Philly's number two is not, it's not who he's supposed to be, man. I was told coming out of LSU, like, this could be the next LeBron James. So I don't know why people believe that. I never understood that for me. me neither. I, I, and that year, I said I'd take Brandon Ingram over him. I said that in that draft. I stand by that. Look, to put a bow on this, I hope Ben Simmons figures it out, you know, whether it's psychological or whatever. Clearly something, at least at the minimum, it seems psychological. One of my boys says he thinks this might be maybe he's just doing one of the best troll jobs ever because he's trying to get out of Philly. <laughs> he's a clutch client and forced his way to the Lakers. For the record, my boy is also a Laker fan. You know how they be thinking they're going to get everybody. I, I don't but, see how LeBron and Ben Simmons make a ton of sense know, together. I, 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 but... I, don't, I don't see it either. But, but you know, if it was a troll job, it'd be hilarious. It'd be hilarious. Can you imagine if Ben Simmons goes to another team and then all of a sudden doesn't even make shots. He just starts shooting more. <laughs> and then, like, like, it'll be great. They need to make the first game of the year Ben Simmons gets traded. He plays against Philly, and he takes, like, Magic 12 Sixers. He, 12, he takes, like, 12 shots in the game. And after the post-game press conference, they're like, hey, Ben, you know, you, you, you shot more. You were more aggressive in this game. What happened? And he just says three words. He, well, let me think about that. Four words. He's like, hey, guys, you know what I did? I trusted the process. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short, anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. So the other interesting uh, Brian smiling thing <laughs> already smiling already. I almost wish Gerard was here for this conversation. Uh, my man Gerard Hector, who joins me every Wednesday on the NBA Exchange. But Rudy Gobert and Jazz. We talk about the Sixers number one seed going down. Rudy Gobert and the Jazz. They go down, and I felt like a trip to the conference finals was candid to them. Kawhi Leonard's out after Game Four. Going into Game Five, they lose Game Five and Game Six. And man, Game Six. I don't know what to make of this game, Brian, because these dudes scored all these points in the first half. I can't remember how much they had, but I know what they gave up in the second half. They gave up 81 points. And the problem with that that a lot of people, especially on Twitter, seem to come for was like, yo, but y'all got the reigning, well, the current defensive player of the year. 
know that I understand that's a regular season award. How y'all giving up 81 points? Now, I don't think this is all uh, Rudy Gobert's fault. The Jazz perimeter defense has been suspect for quite some time. Definitely is. But, um, you know, I saw Rudy Gobert, not Rudy Gobert, excuse me, Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson driving the lane, hitting layups on Gobert. I, I didn't see the Stifle Tower inside. Stifle Tower wasn't really uh, getting out and helping on the outside. Um, I, 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 don't, I didn't see the, you know, I think it's fair for people to say, I didn't see the defensive value. I understand it's a scheme and team game, uh, but Brian's favorite defensive player, Rudy Gobert, I mean, wh- where was he, bro? Like, we didn't see him. <laughs> he was doing what he normally does and get played off the floor in the playoff games. Like, that's sort of what it is. Like, we've seen it happen for multiple years now where it comes down to whether or not him staying on the floor is actually helping the Utah Jazz defensively. And it's not all his fault. He's asked to do a lot. I get it. You know, the defensive Raptor rating, the D-LeBron rating, and the box plus minus, and all this shit that people want to throw at you and suffocate us with Rudy Gobert analytics. And at one point, John Hollinger had him second in the MVP voting. And as Jamal Murphy, our boy, points out, probably not even the most valuable player on his own team. And it's not really shade to him. But look, when you need to create a bucket, Donovan Mitchell is that dude. Like, there's something to be said for him, but Monty Jones made this point on his podcast. You're down 6-0, that dude is going to come stop the run. And I know Gerard, our boy, you know, likes to sort of talk about scoring not being everything, and I'm one of those. Like, I, I waited to get on the Devin, the Devin Booker bandwagon. I waited to get on the Zach Levine bandwagon because the scoring alone is not going to be it for me. And with, with Rudy Gobert, like, he's not a scorer. So you're looking at him to do other things. And I think he's a very good team defender. I think what he does is important. But I think because of the analytics, like we overthink this stuff, and he's become one of the most overrated players in the NBA to me. And you saw him exposed again in this series. Like, granted, you know, they <laughs> shot at a they shot at a un like a, a, a crazy clip. Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson and these dudes, but like all series long, like Reggie Jackson's been hunting him and scoring on him. Terrence Mann dunked on him, wasn't really scared of him. Like these dudes don't really respect Rudy Gobert like that. Like if you watch NBA games, like these dudes don't respect him like that. And I wonder if like I, I would love to see- wait. Whoa, who, who is your man's? Was it Dorian Finney Smith? Dorian, like- <laughs> yeah, Dorian Finney Smith said, I knew that when Rudy Gobert was guarding me, I was going to have a big night. He scored like 22 points. Dorian <laughs> Finney Smith. Dorian Finney Smith. Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah, like he's he's maybe like a 3 and D guy. Like he, I like Dorian Finney Smith actually. Yeah. He gets a bad rap on that Dallas Mavericks team who actually have decent role players. Their bigger problem is their number two, not really a number two, Chris Asports, because that's another story. Rudy Gobert. Um, like, it's just not really what these fucking nerds say he is. Like, he's just not. Because when it comes down to it, you have to, you know, do more than just sort of patrol the paint. And I think a big reason why he has these, you know, awesome advanced analytics is because he's in the paint most of the time. He's not guarding everybody like Draymond Green and Ben Simmons and Bam Adebayo are, or trying to at least. That's why the defensive metrics well, are not going to be as great. The other thing is when you get to the playoffs, you know, when you have a coach like Ty Lue who deserves a lot of credit for what he's been doing with the Clippers, it, despite injuries to their best player, look, they're going to switch things up. The, the Clippers were clearly trying to force him out. of. They clearly were forcing him out of the paint, right? And then it was like some of these possessions I saw, like he wasn't coming out to help. He wasn't uh, really defending on the perimeter. There was, was one like, play where, like, I, I don't mm-hmm. remember if it was Terrence Mann or Reggie Jackson, but 
Rudy Gobert clearly was supposed to be the guy that comes out to the shooter yep. there. He stayed in the paint, just stared at him. Like, yeah, he stood yeah, sideways yep. and just stared at him like he's a fucking hitman or some shit and just waited. And ah. Just like, all right, I'm, he's going to shoot. I'm just going to stay here. I'm not even going to bother. Because That's, maybe, I, I don't remember, know if he was scared scared of getting blown by a crossover. And then he tried to say after the game that the game plan was to let him shoot all those threes or whatever. It's like, dog, I'd rather give up layups. Well, what do you mean? Thing. I mean, if they're yeah. hitting threes like that, like you had Tim Legler had an awesome breakdown about this. They were yeah. wide open, naked jump shots, as he said. And it's like you either have to get Rudy Gobert out or you have to change your game plan and just you know, you go. eat some layups. There you go. There eat you some go. layups. But some, because some, if they're hitting threes like that, you can't keep letting them take them. Some of that is coaching. That has to fall on Quinn Snyder. you got to make the adjustments. Another dude that playing. the nerds have been telling us is awesome, having a great season. Look, I've been saying all year long, Utah Jazz, a team that. that literally all year long, Utah Jazz are a team that everyone is going to tell me, yo, they're going to win the championship. They're the best team in the regular season. I said all year long, they're made to lose in the second round. They're the exact kind of team like the Atlanta Hawks. I think they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, actually. The Utah Jazz this year were the exact kind of team who would be great in the regular season, who took advantage of it because they didn't have a lot of COVID issues that a lot of other teams had, health issues throughout the year, save for like Mike Conley and then Donovan Mitchell towards the end. Like they were mostly healthy, but they were killing in the regular season and they were made to lose in the second round of the playoffs. And you saw that here to a team who didn't even have their best player, who had Paul George as their best player, who's somebody we were all skeptical about whether or not he's going to step up. And they ended up winning the last two games in that series. That's the problem for me. And, you know, you might you could say whether Gobert's a fraud, but the Utah Jazz were fraudulent as a number one seed, although Brian has been banging that drum all year for sure, and they end up losing in the second round. But, like, there was a gift, it was gift wrap for them to walk to the conference finals, and, and they choked. You know, that's it. And, you know, we, we got on the Clippers, but we got to forget, Utah blew a 3-1 lead last year, and now they, they were up 2-0. And they lost four straight to the Clippers, including two after the series was tied, and they lost their best player. Like, some blame has to fall on Utah. Not to throw it all to Gobert, but, like, the perimeter defense has to get better on that team. It's not good, um, and it's not built for the postseason. When you can let guys like Terrence Mann and Bobby Jackson go off, no disrespect to those guys, your perimeter defense has a lot of problems. And, uh, look, you got to give credit to the Clippers. But Gobert, I think a lot of it for him, and I think, you know, when we look at the analytics and stuff around him, it's going to have to be like, how does he get the job done defensively in the postseason? That's what's going to matter. Can you guard when teams go smaller and switch? And it was like, what did Gobert average in the series? 12 and 10, even though the Clippers went extremely small? You got to get more out of him from that. And I don't even think it's all defense with Gobert. I think some of it is offense. Like, they know they can't even throw the ball to him, even right. if he's got a smaller guy on him. And they don't let him dribble. He literally can't do do that, which is why John Hollinger's vote for him as second as MVP is absolutely stupid, right? Like, I think defense matters, and I, to your point, Brian, offense isn't everything. But there is something about dudes who can now get a bucket and stop a run and do that, and that stuff matters. Look at what the Nets were able to do hanging in despite their injuries with just Kevin Durant, having a dude who could do that. Look at what Donovan Mitchell was able to do. If he had, like, a little bit more competence – you know, and like, don't get me wrong, we're not calling uh, Rudy Gobert Ben Simmons. He will go up for a dunk. But what we're saying is like, damn, like, they don't even have the option to punish the Clippers for being small in that situation and give it to Gobert and let him yam on Marcus Morris or whoever's guarding him. Yeah. We saw, we saw none of that. We saw none of that. And all the average was 12 and 10 from supposedly 
their second best player or their most valuable player, whatever people want to call him. That's what we saw. Like, I feel like the Jazz got to get more out of Gobert. And I do think it's fair the criticism has come on him a little bit defensively, even though I know it's more of a team scheme. I know it is. And their perimeter defenders are not good. I get all that. But look, Rudy Gobert wasn't helping that game. If you watch the game, he was not coming out on shooters. And, I mean, you're the defensive leader. You got to set the tone, right? He wasn't doing that at all. And we grade him on a curve. Not we. You and I don't. But a lot of people grade him on a curve, which is what I was also saying in our group chat. Because, like, who else, as far as, like, you know, yes, players that are great defenders, but how many other players are we looking at and be like, yo, offense is not really your responsibility, like, damn near at all. Just move around, set screens, and make sure that, you know, you can get open when you can. Like, you can't even throw it to the dude for a bucket. Like, not one time. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have the confidence to be able to do that. You're instead, like, Jordan Clarkson's going to create here. Donovan Mitchell's going to create here. Mike Conley, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see what happens with Mike Conley and free agency. But to me, Rudy Gobert was not a better defensive player this year than Ben Simmons, than Draymond Green, than Bam Adebayo, or Drew Holiday this season. He just wasn't. So I know it's a regular season award, but we'll see how that plays out going into the future um, in the playoffs with Gobert because that's going to be a big knock on him and a big concern um, going forward. The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. Our next topic, not around sports, but has been pretty uh, noted in the news. I have not seen this movie yet. In the Heights uh, was released a couple of weeks ago. I know a lot of people have seen it. Brian, you've seen it. Um, there's a lot of talk about it. I plan to watch it. I will also note I am not a guy who is a fan of musicals. I am not a big fan of musicals at all. I generally find them corny. I think people break out into the singing too much. They can sometimes annoy me. However, however, I did enjoy Hamilton a lot. I love the hip-hop element of it. I thought it was very creative. What Lin-Manuel Miranda did with that and the way he blended it, it flowed better to me. It was more enjoyable than most other musics. That's a lot of stop and start. Hamilton just flowed really well for me, and I enjoyed it. However, uh, with all that being said, I was very intrigued to see In the Heights, and I will watch it at some point. But a lot of the talk around it has been uh, the colorism uh, that surrounded the film. A lot of... Afro-Latinos did not see themselves represented in the film and spoke out against it. And there was criticism and critiques against Lin-Manuel Miranda for that. Uh, because of that critiques, there's been a lot, a whole discussion about that, uh, about the erasure of blackness and anti-blackness, which you've heard us talk about many times. Brian and I have talked about this on this podcast, but I'm not going to speak as much about this because I think this deals more with Brian's culture in this, even though I am a black man and I obviously do not support the erasure of blackness or anything that's anti-black. Uh, we have seen this throughout the Latino community. Um, I think it's great that it's being talked about. But Brian, everybody doesn't necessarily feel the same way. There's a lot of emotions around this. How were you? How did you feel about it? You know, watching the film and then watching some of these conversations unfold on Twitter. 
Yeah, pretty much what you said. A lot of black people didn't feel represented in this film, which, you know, I, again, like you, like, I'm not going to be the person to give it like this review in the way that other people are because not a musical guy. I mean, you know, I'm just, I kind of look at it the way I look at, you know, superhero films to some degree, which, you know, I think they're good. They're just not really for me, not really my bag because people don't just like, I don't go see Dex, Gerard, Jamal, and then we just start singing out of fucking nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Like that just doesn't happen on the streets of New York City. Like that's just not something that happens. So it's we not try, really we something. Can, we can try that sometimes. It's not really my bag or anything that I could sort of uh, like vibe with in that way. But you know, as far as what it is, like I will say this: stories told in the movie are legit. They're good. They're well done. Some of it, you know, very well written, et cetera, et cetera. I can see where it gets high reviews, but that one blemish is a big one because, and I'm not like, there are some people that are accusing a Lin-Manuel Miranda of a lot and I'm not even going to go there. But for me, it's just a really bad oversight that is, uh, you know, unfortunately common in art in general, but in our community also where the colorism, uh, you know, the erasure, as you said, of black people, when you're talking about a movie in the Heights, you know, there's supposed to be like a lot of Dominicans there and a lot of Dominicans are black in case you haven't realized, you know, like you're talking about Washington Heights, which is little Dominican Republic. And there are supposed to be, you know, a lot of black people there. Like that's just how that goes. And you don't really see that prominently featured in the film. You have one black character who's actually played by uh, the dude whose name is escaping me, who, uh, played Dr. Dre and straight out of Compton. He's actually in this and plays a prominent role. Uh, doesn't speak Spanish in the film. But look, man, uh, I've said it once, I've said it a million times, and I've said it when, you know, part, look, this book that I just wrote, fiction novel, a lot of prominent black characters within the story, one on the cover uh, who is uh, Afro-Cuban, everyone else on the front is, uh, you know, there's Puerto Rican, there's Dominican, and there's somebody who's mixed with, um, you know, uh, UK and Irish and Grenadian <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. just ancestry and things of that nature. Like these things sort of matter, but I was like, there's no way I'm not having at least one black character here. Like you could see that they're all almost all four different skin tones, but there had like, you can't tell. And I've said this point to Dexter privately, but like, you can't tell the story of Latinos wherever without black people, like, you know, liberation, all those sort of things, like growing up in New York city, People that look like me, people that look like Dexter all grew up in the same neighborhoods. And this is how we've really, you know, become intertwined in New York City. Like it's a common thing. And <clears throat> to not see that really replicated in that film uh, to the way it should have been is a misstep. Though, you know, Lin-Manuel, he spoke on it. He had his response and, you know, he said that he needs to do better. We all need to do better as, as a community because I'm not I'm not over here saying like I did this perfectly. You know, I'm not saying I fucking nailed it or whatever. Right. But. It's a it's a thought that I had where it's like this this is this first is based on realism. So it's like it would be disingenuous to for me to make everyone in the story light skinned because that's not how this goes. You know what I mean? This and in, in the Latino community, there are some people who, you know, probably don't care about this kind of stuff. And there's this little bit of a divide there. So I think it was very important to 
to sort of bring that to light because I think the movie itself was, you know, it was well done and it's, it, it you know, it's kind of cheesy, but because it's a musical, to me, musicals are kind of cheesy in that way, but I thought it was very well done. Uh, again, not really my speed, but <clears throat> I, I very much, you know, respect Lin-Manuel Miranda's work, uh, especially as a fellow Puerto Rican. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, people still should watch the film and I wanted to shout out, <clears throat> I wanted to shout out friend of the show, Brianda, who, you know, we go a little bit back with Dex. You adjusting your mic there? What's going on? No, 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 no I'm good. I'm good. Because oh, I'm hearing some sort of background feed over there. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like, not, like basically <clears throat> Brianda made a good point. Brianda was talking about how, and that's at, that's Brianda on uh, Twitter. And I believe on Instagram as well, she was saying, now I see my Hispanic friends, both black and white, walk back their initial praise of the movie, talking about In the Heights. Stop right. that. She says, stop that. Don't let other people ruin the experience. Both sentiments are valid. And if you felt represented by the film and moved by it, don't let Twitter University take that away. Um, this is coming from somebody who hates musicals. I find them shits corny. And I find this movie <laughs> to be corny, too. <laughs> it's Hollywood. We're going to get Brianda up here at some point. It's Hollywood. But what more could you expect? Uh, I'm surprised this movie even got made, to, to be honest. And then she posted the cast and, you know, said, you know, not to shade, but what were we really expecting a cultural reset from this cast necessarily? And I think all the all those are great points. And I think that we have a bad habit now of thinking something, going to see what other people think about this first, and then changing our opinion, where I feel like, you know... Um, for most cases, unless it's a, a problematic ass opinion, probably that we should stick to the first thing we felt and don't let other people just sort of like make you feel a certain way. So I think if you did feel like this film impacted you in a certain way, because there there is a lot of greatness to take away from it. But, you know, uh, for me, musicals don't move me in that way. But if you felt represented by the film, as Brianna said, so be it. Uh, yeah, I think that the colorism thing definitely should be spoken on. I, I'm not here for anybody being dismissive of it, particular, particularly. Um, I don't think we should be dismissive of anything around erasure. <clears throat> but I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda, in his response, at least from what I saw, and I don't know if there was any, you know, his denial of it. From what I saw, he seemed to respond to it pretty fairly and say that he needed to to learn and do better. And I thought that was absolutely fair of him to say most people don't do that now there's a lot now look could it be disappointed i don't want to speak for our latino brothers and sisters but uh whether they're white passing whether they're uh, afro-latino it doesn't matter but i think that um you know could he have done a better job in the colorism did he have the power to do so with his name on the film especially in the way he casted people of color so well in hamilton there were so many diverse shades of people of color uh, in Hamilton, to not do it here is disappointing, and it, it, it. But it also makes me think a lot about what his relationship might have been with Hollywood execs around this, and how they may have wanted to make it look whiter. Um, we've seen this before, and how they they had an opportunity. It might not be all on him. That's a fair point, right? So. Now he does have a voice. If Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing his film, and they want to make this guy did Hamilton right. wants to get some uh, Afro Latinos up in there, it can be done. And Brian, you make a great point. You go to Washington Heights which is where this story takes place, you will see plenty of Afro-Latinos. You, uh, you go to see any uh, in Dominican neighborhoods, you will see uh, 
people who are Latino that look as dark as me or even darker. You will see that. I know them. I've seen these people. I've worked with these worked with these folks. So to not have that full representation is disingenuous. There's no doubt about that. But where I do agree with Brianda is if you saw this movie and you liked the movie and was like, yo, man, this is dope. This is a really good story. I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed blah, blah, blah. I do not think the colorism aspect should ruin the movie for you or you should want to cancel it or cancel Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think you can critique Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's not above criticism here. I think it's an absolutely great critique. I'm glad it is brought to the forefront. I think we should be glad we had this moment where this movie was released and some people were like, yo, hold on, where's the Afro-Latinos at? Why are they representing here? This is not how this Latino community looks like, specifically in this place. It's fine to have that conversation. We should be having that conversation. Um, you know, could now I'm not also going to knock somebody if they say that takes away from the art of it a little bit for them. Because I get that. I tend to sometimes not watch stuff where I think it's not realistic. It's kind of like, yo, this is whack. I understand that part of it. But it doesn't mean like the movie overall is whack. We got to cancel it and go that far. I still think there could be some level of appreciating the storytelling and the craft while also still having this critique. There's room for both. There's room for nuance. We can do this. We can have this. And I'm not telling anybody how to feel or why they shouldn't be upset or how upset they shouldn't be. Like, nah. But I'm saying there's room to have a nuanced conversation about this. But I yeah. do think the conversation should at least start with the fact that, yo, erasure is not cool, right? Yeah. And depicting a group of people or community in a way that doesn't look like how one might see it if they walk through Washington Heights, it's not cool at all. We have to be very careful about erasing the voices of black people, our Afro-Latino brothers and sisters, erasing the voices of women. You know, these are things I had to even learn, you know, where I used to be dismissive of it. Like, oh, yeah, it's whatever. Like, no, no, no. I spoke with a friend years ago uh, about Rachel Dolezal when that whole thing dropped. And I didn't think it was a big deal. And then I came to realize about how women, particularly black women, get their voices erased so many times. And this is something that we have to stand up and say, no, this isn't cool. So I think people need to just learn that these are learning moments and teaching moments for us all. I've learned about erasure and learned how to be better and be more mindful of that uh, and who I put at the forefront of the ways I have platforms to give people voices. So I think about that. Am I making sure I have Latino voices represented? Am I seeing brown people, black people, women? Am I doing that? That's, I think, what's being asked of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And if he said he's going to try to do better, then let's see if the man does better. That's kind of where I'm at. Like he said, he wasn't dismissive of it from what I've seen. He said he wants to do better. It's a learning experience. All right, let's see what he does next. But we don't have to cancel the film. I don't think we got to do that. And the bigger problem is, is the last point I'm going to make on this. The bigger problem is that we, we as Latinos barely get these movies. So when one comes out... When one comes out, when we do, the people involved feel like, you know, this this has to be, like, this has to nail it, because when are we going to get another one? Okay. And that's really yeah. the problem here. You know what I mean? Like, on top of that, it's like every film we have has to be like an educational presentation about our culture to white people. Otherwise, white people aren't going to want, like, oh, we want you to be super Latino, like, over the top and extra and things of that nature. So that, like, no, it's, I don't think it needs to be that. I think a story could be told without being super, um, you know, just over the that. top you know, about the culture or whatever. I'm not saying this is that or whatever, and I tried to refrain for it from it in Hidalgo Heights, but, you know, as far as in the Heights goes, like, I think that, you know, so much gets 
like this is the 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 most fun movie and you know there's you know it's latinos dancing and all this shit and it's like yo i think that we we need more like major pictures you know what i mean we mean we need more hentifieds we need more in the heights we need more in the thick podcasts like we need a lot of different things in different forms so that people can not just sort of just bank on these one few and far in between things we get because then when one gets criticized it's like all right when are we going to get another one like it shouldn't all ride on that so you know hopefully that we get more projects uh not just representing our culture from the standpoint of like showing you what it is but just representing our culture on the way it looks and the way yeah. it looks it, it should look you know differently than than it has in, in a lot of different places one time for your mind, interesting stuff this week. Uh, Brian's got some stuff around a tragedy and why more people should be talking about this in a particular kind of way. And I have some stuff uh, about the world of food, food that I don't particularly eat, but you might. You might find it interesting. Brian, what you got this week, man? A man named Giovanni Arzuaga was murdered in Chicago uh, while he was with his woman who is in uh, critical condition right now. I think she's still alive at the moment. She was wounded in the shooting. Unfortunately, there's video, which I did, you know, see by accident, kind of wish I avoided. But, uh, you know, it was in Chicago and Chicago has a well-documented just problem with violence uh, and violence all over the place is going to be heightened uh you know as we're getting back to normal and things of that nature so you know it's going to be an interesting summer we have ahead but giovanni was murdered and he and his woman um his uh, significant other uh had a child a baby and what i was noticing on twitter was that well one this is an undercover story um hasn't really made waves outside of like local news in chicago unfortunately two was that the reactions to it, and this is so, this is how I uh, discovered it, rather, right? The reactions to it was a lot of people of a certain type, and actually you know what I'm talking about, pointing out that a black person was the assailant, right? And there's a lot of people like saying like, oh, how come we don't, you know, showcase this because like a black person did the killing of it. And, you know, the commentary around it was very bothersome to me because it's <laughs> not to the degree that which we just talked about with with uh, the movie, but there's a level of anti-blackness here that's obvious, right? And then I tweeted out a few things, some people pointing out that the media is undercovering this, um, don't actually care about Giovanni, uh, don't care that he was actually killed and that his significant other is critically injured. They're only calling attention that a black man was the apparent murderer uh, and they're using basically his death to push their anti-blackness. Continuing on, even when you look up the incident, because I had looked it up, and the first things you'll find are all these people who are like right-wing conspiracy theorists, and I don't really need to add much more context to that. If you know, you know, uh, you know, just using Giovanni's killing to sort of demonize black people. And, you know, when these same groups, they're in the shadows, when black people get murdered and, you know, Jacob Blake, you know, he, you know, he was resisting arrest and this person was, you know, uh, you know, had a warrant and these sort of things, like almost as if they deserve to get murdered and, you know, the stories and things like that. And then one more tweet that I had was where I said, like, you know, like we, 
like we should be we, we're still doing this and that's the problem in terms of killing each other coming from the same neighborhoods like we just got talking about Dexter we just got talking about like you know people that look like you people that look like me um come from the same neighborhoods and we're led to believe that we're not as equal as we are uh by people from the outside and people who are outside messengers and trying to invade uh you know what we have going on so you know uh hopefully she's all right but like you know that was it was bothersome that the video was out there it was bothersome that it happened and then it was also bothersome that you know uh just the commentary around it and you're seeing an agenda being pushed over that you know over the killing of somebody on an unfortunate saturday evening yeah sunday evening yeah i think it's all unfortunate and what's going on around this right like the first thing it's clear anti-blackness there there's no doubt about that but the other thing is the the lack of respect for this Latino man who lost his life, right? We're not even focusing on that. And his woman uh, is in critical condition. Uh, the other thing that's disappointing by the folks that are trying to push the narrative of anti-Blackness and also the disrespect to the man who lost his life here is the fact that they try to push these narratives around crime that just aren't true. And Brian, you talked about how a lot of Black and Latino folks in urban areas live in the same neighborhood, share the same neighborhoods, or very adjacent. And that is true. Crime, folks, is a matter of proximity, right? So a lot of times crime that happens, I hate when people say black on black crime. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist. It's not real. It's the dumbest thing people ever say. It isn't really. You notice what people never say. They never say anything about white on white crime. 90% of murders of murders by white people are against other white people, but you never hear that term. Uh, 80% of, I believe, crimes by black people uh, against black people or against other black people, right? Like it's because crimes matter proximity. A lot of our neighborhoods are still segregated. We generally live around most people who look like us. Most people do. So when you try to paint a narrative like, oh, look, this black man killed this uh, Latino man or, or, or whatever, and they were in the same neighborhood, you're not addressing the issue of crime. And those same people don't ever say anything when there's a mass shooting. You never see them anywhere. To be. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The only thing you hear them saying is like, well, don't take away my guns. That's all you'll ever hear. You don't say that. So I'm not here for the convenient complaints about crime that's shrouded in anti-blackness or not caring about a Latino life. I think both these things are happening from these folks. One is anti-blackness, two, not caring about a Latino man that got killed. And none of those are cool. But, you know, we know who these folks are. Like, they're just going to be here conveniently to pop in on their agenda. And it's not cool. Uh Rest in peace to uh, Mr. Giovanni, Giovanni, excuse me, Arzuga. Rest in peace to him because, you know, it, it's sad that he lost his life. I don't care who murdered him, uh, what color their skin is. That's that's not right at all. Like, the fact that you're ignoring that at a time like this shows me you don't really care about the murder at all. You don't. All right. For my one time for your mind, uh, Ryan, I'd ask you this. You know, I like a good sandwich, man. I like to I like to get a nice sandwich when I can. Where do you, where do you go to get your a sandwich if you want a hero sandwich, as we call it here in New York? Where, where are you going to get a hero? Uh, the bodega. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the bodega. My deli. That's where I'm going. You know what? Greg, our producer, is talking about yuck. I don't know. I don't know what's up with that, Greg. Greg, please do not tell me that you are you eat at the the chain, the sandwich chain. I'm gonna bring up because uh, if you eat at Subway, I'm gonna judge you. Oh, uh, okay. Former former Subway. I feel like everyone used to eat at Subway at some point, right? Like, I, don't, no, no, no. I feel like everyone was forced to eat at Subway at some. Okay, point. Okay, yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, were you doing this by choice because you wanted to? 
Uh, no, no, I wouldn't go that far. But I would say, like, yeah, I've, you know, I've definitely, like, if I'm try, if I was trying to save some money back in the day, high school, freshman year, really freshman year of college, nah, sure, man. you know what I'm nah, saying. But not, 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 not when I got a little bit of bread, you know. No, no, a little bit of bread. <laughs> you could get some, you could get Chipotle after a while, you know what I'm saying. Here's my thing, man. I feel like if you live in New York and you have great options for delis. And bodega deli is great. You can get deli. There's tons of if, great if deli. If there's a bodega around, that's the problem, too. Right. You, know you, got, you got tons of great options. I always feel like there's, there ain't no need for you to go up in Subway, right? But some people go up in Subway. The last, I remember the last time I had Subway. I, last time I had Subway was a guest on the show. It was my man, Dan Serafin. We were working a story for News 12, and we were up in Riverdale in the Bronx, and we were waiting for this game to start, and there was nothing else to eat along the strip except for Subway and pizza. I believe I chose the pizza and Dan chose the Subway. <laughs> and I judged, I judged Dan a little bit for it. But she was like, there's nothing wrong with Subway. And I'm like, where is this going? I got to see where this All is right. going. <laughs> well, yeah, good. No, you're great. It's a good question. That's where this is going. Well, here's where this is going. So, Subway, earliest year. I was interesting. I found this the other day. Subway got sued. You know why Subway got sued? Because some people said they were out here being frauds. Because this ties in with the theme of the episode. They said Subway was mislabeling its tuna as tuna. Said the tuna the Subway was serving wasn't tuna. So the New York Times, they did some great investigative reporting, decided to get to the bottom of this, this mystery. The Times did its own analysis. So the Times, they used a commercial lab to analyze tuna samples bought in Los Angeles. So the reporter who did this, I'm forgetting the reporter's name right now, he collected samples of different Subway, uh, well, I think New York City actually got different Subway tuna sandwiches, cut them up, took, scraped it, scraped it off, froze it, sent it out to this lab in LA, and they did the analy- they did the analyzing. So, you know, Subway chain, uh, Subway, the sandwich chain, excuse me, dismissed claims about his tuna. They called the lawsuit meritless, all this, all this other stuff, right? And Subway obviously is the, the country's biggest sandwich chain. I don't think they're that great. I'd still rather eat it. Blimpy, old school people know Blimpy. Quiznos. Y'all Quiznos. Quiznos. Back also better than Subway. I agree with that, Brian. And even Jimmy John's, I would say, I've had that recently last couple of years. And that's also better than Subway. And, and the, Jersey, the New Jersey one. Jersey Mike's? Jersey Mike's. Not bad. Jersey Mike's, yeah, solid. Not, not bad at all. So my whole thing, I'm reading this article. I'm intrigued. I'm like, all right, well, what are the results? What happened? Like, what, what has been found out? So the results per email sent to the Times was no amplifiable tuna DNA was present in the sample. So we obtained no <laughs> amplification products from the DNA. Therefore, we cannot identify the species. Now, I think that's kind of concerning, right? Because they can't say that it's not tuna, but they can't also say that it is tuna. So I'm not really sure what to do with that, right? Like, it's Yo. Just, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Here's the thing with Subway, though. They're a repeat offender on this front. Oh, like, I remember there was a whole... Because the I don't know about this. There was a whole chicken breast scandal, not like, you know, some years ago, where, like, oh, how much I'm of the chicken this. is actually real, whatever. I don't remember the particulars or whatever, because I was out on Subway at that point. But, like... And this was like post Jared, maybe, which, you know, that's its own thing. Yes. But like there was something with like, you know, the antibiotics of the chicken, like it's uh-huh. not real, whatever. And, you know, there there's always that sort of risk factor with fast food, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, which is why it's so cheap a lot of the times. But 
you know, just be careful where you're getting your food is all I would say. But Subway is a repeat offender on this front, so I'm I'm not terribly surprised. And also, That's like, look, that ain't the place where I'm getting tuna fish. Like, if I'm getting tuna fish, <laughs> I'm just getting that shit from the supermarket. You know what I'm saying? Get the can or whatever, or get the little thing where you can scoop up, um, you know, whatever it is they give you, and you could, like, you know, just eat yeah. it like a dipping almost like i'm not getting it from subway like no you're crazy like if you if like you brought that on yourself it's one of those situations where like <laughs> if this is where you wanted to go to get tuna fish like nah man come on like that's your fault honestly so, so here's the other interesting thing right so a representative for the lab told the times that the results pointed out two to two possible scenarios one it's so heavily processed that whatever we could pull out we couldn't make an identification which is the point i was making earlier or we got some, and there's just nothing in there that says it is tuna. So tuna experts also emphasize to the times that once fish like tuna has been cooked, its protein becomes broken down or denatured, making it difficult to identify. But times also noted right, that they weren't the first people to try to uncover this. Inside Edition did its own investigation in New York, and their finding, Brian, was that the tuna purchases in sandwiches was actually tuna. And what was interesting was after that finding by Inside Edition, the people that were filing the lawsuit against Subway, they decided to sort of change their tune and say that it wasn't like, uh, I forget, I can't, I'm mixing up the term, but I think it wasn't like a, a uh, organic tuna or something. So they kind of changed their, they weren't going as hard as they were before. Um, however, Subway is continuous fight for clash action complaint uh, filed in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California about the bogus meat. They repeatedly denied this uh, and, that, and they, they are you know, focusing on the testing, how repeatedly affirmed that this is not what it is. But look, I I, I will say I'm agreeing with Brian. You kind of got to watch where you where you eat. And to be fair to, to Subway, they had a representative made a statement and they said these claims are meritless. They told uh, Insider in January, tuna is one of our most popular sandwiches. Our restaurants receive 100% wild caught tuna, mix it with mayonnaise and serve it freshly made. Serve, it, serve on a freshly made sandwich to our guests. <laughs> Subway will vigorously defend itself against these and any other baseless efforts to mischaracterize and tarnish the high-quality products that Subway and its franchises provide to their customers. Now, Subway, I know you got to defend yourself out there, but like, like keep it, let's keep it real here. You, you know damn well your products ain't high-quality. You know it's not high-quality. That's why you're a chain. You know what I'm saying? You produce stuff like that. It's It's... It's sort of fast food. I mean, I guess Subway's healthier than other fast foods you can go to. But I still, I'm judging you. It depends on the chicken and, and, and evidently the tuna fish. Fair. I, I'm not trying to judge everybody. If you live someplace where you don't have a lot of deli options, you gotta go. You have to deal with Subway. I feel sorry for you. I really do. Yeah. I really feel bad for you. I would this recommend why... making your own tuna fish sandwich and bringing it in a zippy <laughs> or something like that, though. Might be, might be a better <laughs> option if you're concerned. And then, like, you know, but I feel, I'll say for, for our New Yorkers living here in New York, like my man, Dad Seraphin, and you eating the subway and you got a deli down the street. Nah, man, we can't be doing that. <laughs> I told I told Dan this, so he already knows what's up. Like, no, we can't, we can't, we can't be doing that. Subway, no thanks. Subway, serve fresh. Just don't know if it's tuna. That's the problem. You don't know if it's tuna or not. Make, so your, I, make your own tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> all right. Right. I would feel if somebody came, came up to you right now, I was like, yo, man. Is this Subway tuna fish sandwich? No. You might smack it out their hand. No, listen, listen. <laughs> I listen. There were three Quiznoses in like Queens that all closed. There was one by like Juniper Park. There was another one by the McDonald's on Myrtle Avenue, and there's another one that was around where like Wendy's is 
um, in I think that's Ridgewood slash Middle Village on that area, kind of yeah. around where Energy Fuel is. People who you know around that part, way of Queens know what I'm talking about. Quiznos was the shit. All right, Quiznos. I, I, I agree. Quiznos, in terms of chains, it doesn't get much better, especially when you're talking about sandwiches than Quiznos. I remember the last time I had Quiznos was not terribly long ago. Shout out to our boy Chris Mills, track coach of St. Francis. I was with them on a trip to Penn Re- No, it wasn't Penn Relays. It was actually to uh, championships, NEC championships. It was like 2017 or 2018, I forget. But uh, there was a Quiznos in sort of the outlet mall, and you already know where we went. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I saw Quiznos. Now, when I was in college, we had, we had a Quiznos on our campus, but like when Quiznos chain started dipping off, I think about the time I graduated, it was gone. But Quiznos was dope. I just feel like, look, even if you got, like, Brian's point is they've been better chain sandwich yes. options, right? Like, and, and you got bodegas in New York, if you're in Right. New York. In New York, you got that Pop Bellies a sandwich chain. I love here in New Pop York. Belly's good. That's Pop good. Belly's Pop Bellies dope. Quiznos was dope. Blimpy was dope. There's not that many around, but back in the day, Blimpy was dope. I mean, come on. Quiz- Subway, I feel like if you're eating tuna, you ain't got to go there. But if you are eating tuna, this is one time for your mind. We're just trying to let you know. There's some thoughts out there that the tuna might not be tuna, so you just might want to, you know, something to think about. All right, that's it for this episode of the Ain't Hotel Podcast, episode 183. Uh, be sure to stick with us throughout the month. We've got some good stuff coming up, also some good guests coming up for sure that we should have, hopefully uh, one next week for our show. But that's it. Uh, be safe. Don't practice anti-blackness. Don't be a fraud. Go by Hidalgo Heights, and I guess if you care for your health, please, please do not eat Subway <laughs> if you care. Or oh, that tuna fish, like Brian said, make your own sandwich, man. Just yeah. do that. And make your own sandwich. It's a sandwich. You know what I mean? I understand people don't have time or whatever, but like, you know, you could just make a sandwich and bring it. No, no. I'm not the person that likes to care. I hate carrying food on me. I fucking hate it. But what? if you absolutely like, want a sandwich like just make yourself a just make it just make yourself and you don't have to worry about you know ingesting fraudulent food yeah, you know what i mean your you don't tuna. Want, yeah you think ben simmons is going to be like an endorsement with subway for tuna for sandwiches All didn't right. he actually uh no no i don't think that was okay that was him, but it seems it seems like it would <laughs> merge well together all right uh until next time on the hell to tell podcast Shoot. peace y'all